Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members, including active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their families. You'll receive a lifetime of membership benefits with Navy Federal, and you can easily access accounts, transfer money, pay bills, and deposit checks with the Navy Federal mobile app. Visit NavyFederal.org slash watch for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me in the studio, a first-time guest... Sandy Greenwald. I love what you've done with the place. Uh, we're in the big room because we got we got big personalities and this is the big show. We're here in the chapel. Craig's here on the decks. And Andy Greenwald, for the first time... Months. Uh, when's the last time you were, we did this in person? Uh, in Albuquerque a few weeks ago. I mean in Los Angeles. It's been months. It's been months. I came in a couple times during the writer's room. Otherwise, I called in, right? I was yeah. coming on Mondays for like January to probably since May. Since Thrones. Yeah. And now here you are, refreshed. Yeah. You, you sure. look like a million bucks. And I know, as our listeners do, you've spent all this downtime in between mm-hmm. the wrap of production and the beginning yeah. of post, just catching up on TV. The wrap, so the time between the end of production and the beginning of post, you mean the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> that was the That was one... supposed to be our first show back, but you were like, I was like, I can't wait to do Monday. It's going to be great. Succession, we'll, we'll get into it. Like Madonna, I'm embracing Judaism later in life. <laughs> Anything for a day off. What else are you doing like Madonna? Um, boy, that's a great question. My new cabaret show uh, confiscates your phones uh-huh. before you come in to see it. That's pretty much the extent of my Madonna knowledge. Are you posing for provocative photographs with Big Daddy Kane? No comment. Do you remember those? Remember, remember Erotica? Did you buy that book? No, I was too young to buy the book. Did you ever like, look at it at Borders? No comment. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did too. Who, did, who, who among us? I did it to be informed. You know, sure. I, I wanted to be part of the conversation even back then. Can you imagine what an innocent time that was? Is this just going to be a full throwback pod? Like, <laughs> do you have some shows you want to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing I, my best. I, we can listen. Listen, let's, let's, let's take it back for a second. First of all, it's great to be here. Yeah. Good to see you. Uh huh. By the uh, way, later on in the show, we're doing uh, number one boys. We'll have the audio from that if you. you know. But but Andy did watch Succession. You have your so, number two boy yeah. here. Uh, we were you know little, little curveball. We were supposed to do Mr. Robot today. Well, we can still talk about Mr. Robot in the larger scheme of things. But I do want to say, in the spirit of Succession, I'm realizing my role here is first pancake. <laughs> I am I am the Connor Roy mistake. Like you know, a little underdone. Everybody remembers me, but maybe we got it right the second time. I'm thrilled to be here. I want to thank you, Chris, for keeping the show afloat during the many months that I wasn't here. I also want to thank Chris for keeping me afloat because I was almost even later today mm-hmm. due to a lack of, a startling lack of caffeine. Chris opened a vein and shared his Starbucks coffee Grande with me. Blonde Rose, a little almond milk. Chris asked me if I liked almond, almond milk, and I said, well, let's find out. How's it going down? Smooth. Nutty? <laughs> it's a little bit nutty Why on the palate. Why don't you make coffee at home? Um, it's a long story. Is it? No, it's just not a good story. But like buy buy some coffee grounds and make coffee in the morning. Because you often are like, I'm dying. I need caffeine. I have tea in the morning. But like, who are we kidding? Nobody anymore. Yeah. And so like an hour later, I get I get I get the darkness. Unless the darkness you have descends. Like hardcore mm. British builders tea. 
that that the the stuff that built Yorkshire. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing with tea in the morning. I I take tea in the afternoon. You take a tea. I well, I have an iced tea. Yeah. Well, this is great content so far. Let's talk about a couple things. The first thing I know you wanted to talk about. You you drive the boat. You want to talk about Joker? The number one movie in America. <laughs> Do you want you want to talk about Joker? Well, you, you you said that you wanted to talk about, I mean, look. Honestly, I'm going to share my thoughts on the big picture so we don't have to do this. <laughs> no, 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 it's not just the movie. I thought we were going to talk about the, the whole thing around the movie because let's be honest, I've not seen this movie. But this is, this is, this is great content. What I wanted to talk to you about was Martin Scorsese. Uh-huh. Director the great of- Martin Scorsese. The director of The Irishman. Uh-huh. A movie that sounds much, much better than anyone thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, weighed in. That is if you ent- base your life entirely on A.O. Scott reviews. Um, so far, he's been... He's Remember been, when we got in like a weird fight about the Manchester by the Sea review? With him or with each other? With each other. You were like, that was beautiful work. And I was oh, like, right. fuck that review. Oh, right. Because you, you thought it was too woke. I right? didn't say that. that. That was your thing, I right? I did not say that. You Don't canceled Tony Scott. <laughs> I remember you were like... That's a reverse cancel. If you cancel somebody for being too woke, it's a reverse cancel. Chris, I remember... I disagreed with his take. Remember when we could just do that? I disagree with your take. No. Respectfully. I, Chris texted me the morning of that Manchester Review dropped and was like, remember when film critics could like review movies before I don't know if that's an accurate culture. representation of what I said. I do remember that you said, hard disagree. It was a beautiful piece of writing. That's true. Yeah. Boy, we really used to be engaged in culture. What I wanted to say was... Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. the great. Yeah. The great Martin Scorsese. Uh, weighed in with his hot take. I'm sure this is exactly the context of it, right? And said that Marvel movies, someone asked him about Marvel movies. I think he was talking about superhero ask, movies in general, yeah. Ask my father about Marvel movies. What are we doing here? Anyway, and he said that they were not cinema. Mm. And the internet dragged him. They uh, dragged Marty. It was sort of a, what's the thing... Like in in like Cold War movies mm-hmm. where it's like mutually assured dis- assured destruction. Sure, that's also in the Cold War, not yeah. just the movies. Uh, where it's like the the missiles launched at the same time. Oh, you, you I know, see. it was like as soon as anybody was like, "Who who's Martin Scorsese?" and like doing like I don't know her gifts. Yeah, cinema nerds were like, finally, the prince who was promised has arrived, and we can right. go back to watching Christoph Krzyzewski Chris- movies. Did I pronounce that right? No, but I, I I take your point. You know, and it was it was like this war of like no one actually like knows who started it, but it was there was no middle ground. It was just the two sides. Well, here's why I'm glad that I'm here today to finally check check everybody because I, I I have I, I have a thought about this. Immediately, it reminded me of something, and uh, I was going to share it with you over text. But you said, "For God's sake, man, save the crumbs for the podcast." <laughs> so I did, and so I what I, what I wanted to ask you was here, here was my take on this. Do you remember this idea that like Marvel movies, despite making billions of dollars and being the defining lifeblood of global movie theater mm-hmm. chains and, and culture, basically, at this point, also need to be blessed by Pope Scorsese as quote-unquote cinema? Like, do I ever remember that need, needing to happen well, so, so, this? So this is, this is my comment on this, and this is what it made me think of. Do you remember, Chris, a fellow by the name of Tiger Woods? I do, yeah. Tiger Woods, um, 2019 Masters champion. True, yeah. had a nice little run of it this year, but there was a moment, you know, a few years ago, when he was just not just the greatest golfer in the world, but inarguably the biggest sports celebrity in the world. Right, the most bankable, mm-hmm. uh, the most lucrative for everyone involved, um, possibly the most just generally. I don't know if beloved is the world, but his his Q score was very, very, very high. Arguably the most, the best, well, the most well known athlete in the right. world. Sure. 
And later we found out that during this period, when he was at the peak of his powers on uh-huh. the links, is that what you call it? Yes. The courses? Yeah, this is great. I feel um, like you're pandering, but okay. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm setting this up. We found out what he really wanted to do and what he leveraged his fame, celebrity, and money for. Uh-huh was to train with Navy SEALs. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> well, we hear other things too, but <laughs> this is think the... He was gonna, I thought he was going to say no, something no. else. Training no. with Navy SEALs, yes. He was obsessed with training with Navy yeah. SEALs. He would invite them to Florida and then like, you know, take them all out and then go like deep sea diving and do strenuous, you know, beach runs and, and training with them. you lie on the sand and let the waves crash over you? Not in like the from the, here to eternity the way. The Burt but Lancaster? Like, no, the actual, it's like a training exercise. Wow, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, Although my two-year-old does that. So is she, she, is she, she she's super yeah. yoked now? Uh, anyway, um, that's what he wanted to do. That's what mattered to him most, right? Uh-huh. And they all palled around and like he went on training missions with them and they came and supported him. And it was this beautiful symbiotic relationship. That's like when and Barack then, Obama got like the Ray Felton, Sean May, North Carolina team just to like do pickup runs. Right. Like, I don't know if that actually it, happened, but there was like the gist of it. And then- do you remember, this was also came out in like in the books after his semi-fall before his recent comeback. Semi. There was a, okay, quite, 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 yeah, quite considerable fall. Yeah. There was, uh, there was like a war and he was like, what's up guys? And they were like, yes. And he was like, it's me, Tiger Woods, your Navy SEAL buddy. I'm ready to go, go war now. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're a rich golfer. You can't fight in war. We do war. Uh-huh. That's what this is. So you, that's my metaphor this, for this. In this metaphor, Martin Scorsese is the Navy SEAL. Yes. Right. Okay. He's, and then he's global James cinema. James Gunn is Tiger Woods. It's like, and I don't even mean this pejoratively. It's just like, you are already the greatest and biggest and most successful at what you do. And you bring right. joy to everyone. Right. You don't also need to be the other thing. You just don't need to. It's fine. It's fine. Can you trace a line from Ozu to Kieslowski and Varda to fucking Ant-Man and the Wasp? <laughs> I mean, they're all moving pictures, baby. It's I mean, if, fine. You, if you subscribe to the theory of director bullshit when these guys are just like, yeah, I was deeply, <laughs> right. Suicide Squad is deeply inspired by Antonioni, then like, sure. But you're right. I think that there's a certain uh, insecurity that seems to come with the narcissism yes. of superhero movies where it's like they not only need to be accepted as blockbuster you know, absolute ironclad, the only thing that makes money in the world anymore in, in theaters. And yes, they need to be acknowledged to be as good. part of the continuum of, and, of cinema. And, yeah. and it's not just Scorsese who is the Navy SEAL in this. It's also like Anthony Hopkins or um, Mark Ruffalo or even Natalie Portman to a degree, right? They're like, we'll, we'll come play around with you. But it, we know the difference here. Anthony you know? Hopkins, notoriously discerning. Discerning yeah. his roles. Yeah. <laughs> and for the record, Thor Ragnarok is a much more enjoyable and pleasurable use of movie cameras than Kundun, in uh, my experience. Uh-huh. I'm just saying it's okay for them to be different. It's okay for them to be trying to be different things. Yes. And I do think, and this is I've long felt this way, like just th- you get into trouble when there is a mismatch of, uh, of what you're trying to make and what and what you make, you know what I mean? And I, I, it's 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 not a. The, I think right now we're in an interesting place where, when you are operating in like quote unquote a free market, does that mean <laughs> by the careful Daryl Morey? Does that mean a healthy sense of options? 
or does it mean domination? Doesn't it mean a monopoly? Is the end point for these things always going to be there's only one kind of thing? There's only one kind of service to use on this on the internet. There's only one kind of company that will deliver books and paper towels to your house. There's only one kind of car service to order. And is there only one kind of experience to have at the movie theater? Mm -hmm. Or three, maybe, you know, but not, I'm going to go see Silence. I'm Mm going to go see a cool thriller. I'll see a superhero movie and there's also a romantic comedy and there's also this and there's also that. There's the the mix is is kind of in jeopardy, I think. Uh, And I think actually in some ways... Scorsese's whole thing was like, to boil it down, he was just like, when I think of cinema, I think of this sort of representation of human psychology and the grappling of emotion and physicality and and that being represented through camera. And he's just not seeing that in Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor or whatever. And I think the big thing that kind of perpetuated a lot of this stuff on, on the day that this happened, I think it was Friday, was James Gunn being like, I supported Martin Scorsese yes, yes. when Last Temptation of Christ was being boycotted and he was getting death threats. This is a slightly elaborate version of what James Gunn said. But he did say, I supported Martin Scorsese yeah. through Last Temptation of Christ. Even though people hadn't seen it, they were they were ridiculing the movie. We, they, he, was, he was exiled. We all remember 12-year-old James Gunn's uh, <laughs> strident stand on... I, I want to say he was on the cover of time. He had a crown of thorns on <laughs> he did. and he said, who will protect this movie? Yeah. Uh, but he was like, you know, Martin Scorsese was like, I just haven't seen these movies. Like when I see, I don't want to go see these movies. And he's like, it's too bad. Martin Scorsese doesn't, didn't do the same thing for me. It, you know? It's weird. There is a, and we've talked about this before. We, we are fans of things. I love being a fans of things, but there is a fan entitlement that's built into this that you spoke to, which is that it's not just that I like it. Everyone has to identify this as, the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. And we even saw a little bit of it trickle into the coverage of Joker, which is just like, how brave, how brave of Warner Brothers to release a movie based on the most popular comic book villain ever mm-hmm. uh, and make a ton of money doing it. I, I don't see the bravery there. I'm not even saying that as a, you know, the movie might be good. Right. I haven't seen it. But it doesn't seem particularly surprising to me that this was an enormous success. It's a Batman movie. Yeah. And it's a Batman movie. And so what do we need this extra, extra hit of validation for? It's okay. But the bigger point that you're making that I think is interesting and actually can, can dovetail pretty nicely into both the Roy family and uh, a little bit about Mr. Robot that I wanted to get into is this idea of um, end-stage capitalism affecting all yeah. of our entertainment choices, right. which has been, you know, the the heavy shadow over everything we've talked about for the last few years when we talk about streaming wars and all this. We are really talking about, in real time, um, uh, entertainment choices. If, if we're feeling high-minded and this almond milk is kicking in, I will. <laughs> it seems uh, like it is. Art uh, being, you know, more more uh, clearly just widgets in uh, the Scheinhardt Wig Company portfolio. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, these things have never been separate. The movie business has always been business. But it does seem more and more pronounced. And it's affecting um, our choices of what we watch, how we watch, and even how we talk about it. It's very true. So how do you see that connecting to Succession? And oh, Mr. Robot? well, let me, let me just say the thing about Mr. Robot. And so obviously all of the caveats exist. Um, Sam is the executive producer of my show, Briarpatch. We had a trailer for our show last night on USA. <laughs> How'd that go? I couldn't be... Did seemed, you get ads? Seems to have gone well. You got some menches? I got a couple menches. <laughs> I hope people like it. Um, I Check out that trailer. I just posted it on the social. Um, 
But so I, you know, I probably am in no position to talk about it at all. Um, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan and I was a fan and, 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 and we will talk about the season and hopefully Sam can jump on too to talk about it with us. But I was interested particularly in the review of it. I'm not sure if you read this, of the season. Mm-hmm. And, and and so far, stay tuned. I'm not spoiling anything. I don't know if you intend to spoil anything. But I think it's like, I, I think I'll, I might talk a little bit more in depth about stuff that happens on Thursday. Yeah. Just because so much was going on last night that I want people to be able to see the I, episode and a lot happens in I the I feel episode. the same way. And maybe yeah. Thursday, um, I'll be in post uh, right next to where Sam is still posting Robot. And maybe I can grab him and he can, he can jump on the phone with us. But... Um, so Alan Steppenwall, friend of ours, friend of the pod, one of, if not the best TV critics out there, his review of this season was really interesting to me because um, he's very positive about the show, but he framed it in a way that was sort of elegiac. And it was basically like when this show premiered um, four years ago, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was going to change everything. And now it's become a period piece. And literally the show is a period piece. Sam very intentionally put the whole action of the series within a you know a, very, a short period. So this season is at Christmas time, 2015. Mm-hmm. Nothing has advanced past that. Um, but more profoundly, he was talking about how it hasn't really changed the landscape of TV. And in fact, it's just sort of become an island. Has it not? And I don't, that's my question. I'm, I mean, I, I personally, we, we like to say, well, this is the cause and effect of a show. Mm-hmm. When in fact, behind the scenes in studios, maybe a show has been done and there, there's already hot buzz about it and the director gets hired and, you know, all these things can happen in, this, in the shadows that we don't see. We just look at it and we're like, well, Fleabag came out and now Phoebe Waller-Bridge is really important. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to imagine something like, say, Maniac coming out. It's hard, it's hard to imagine a lot of the more tourist stuff happening mm-hmm. without Sam mm-hmm. in some ways. Now, I mean, I think you, Carrie Fukunaga directed all these episodes of True Detective season one and David Fincher worked on House of Cards and and there's plenty of examples, Steven Soderbergh and the Nick, but there's something about um, the style with which Mr. Robot is done in yeah. and the way it was, it, it is increasingly and was increasingly shot like a film over the course of its run. Yeah. Uh, that I think is hugely influential. I, I, I completely agree. And in fact, I would take it a step further. I would say that it's sort of archipelago nature, that it is, it is hemmed off from the larger culture or TV is the influential part about it especially once Sam took over uh, directing every episode as he did in season two, it became a hermetically sealed, aesthetically sealed object, Mm -hmm. right? That is delivering a very, very specific vision that is uh, Sam and his writers write it and then he directs it. He obviously, he runs it and and I can attest, you know, micromanages in the best way every detail of it. Um, That in and of itself is a legacy. Yeah. uh, Separate and apart from the content, you know, um, I, I wonder if Alan was talking a little bit about the show's willingness to really just um, poke the eye of culture in general and of 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 the moment. You know, it is a very political show um, in a in a in a really compelling and perverse way, and we haven't seen that echoed nearly as much. And maybe what part of the the reaction he was having wasn't just that the show hasn't influenced a generation of other politically minded shows it's that as it's drifted into the rearview mirror it feels less and less political about our moment and, and it, i think and, that and, might and, be because of the accumulation of plot yeah there's uh, a lot of plot so i i think you know when you watch last night's episode there i mean this is not blowing smoke up sam's ass sam's ass to say like there's no shots taken off mm-hmm. like every single shot in this show has a certain level of virtuosity mm-hmm. that's pretty rare on like in film. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Sam squeezes the most out of every setup, out of every camera movement. 
all the settings look like they cost a billion dollars because of the way he stages things. It's um, there. There's like a huge sequence in Grand Central Station uh, in the season premiere that is one of the best things I've seen on TV this year. But yeah. it took me a minute to remember what the hell was going on. Yeah, it's been two years. It's been almost two years. Yeah, yeah and I think Mr. Robot is if if anybody feels like it's hermetically sealed, I think it's because it has to do so much stuff in the Mr. Robot world, which is just storytelling. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily about Lindsey Graham. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily about Edward Snowden. It's it's about Elliot and these characters. Right. You know? Well, what is, the other thing, though, and, and this is interesting because something that I always, uh, we we often advocate for, and I, and I actually just heard our, our pal Chuck talking about this on Bill's podcast, mm-hmm. too, is, you know, this sort of yearning for the monoculture and missing it. Um, basically because then we could all watch the same things together and talk about them. But flipping it for a moment from the creator's point of view, like what obligation does this show have or any show have to capture the moment? You know, because so many of these shows now, all shows, honestly, if we're thinking about them, are being built for a much different timeline, not the darkest community timeline, but meaning to exist for a long time. And for as much as it- Are they? Well, they're going to exist and you're going to be able to watch them. I mean, it's not TV of 20 years ago where everything would either disappear into a sinkhole of oblivion or syndication, right? Like when Mr. Robot ends um, in a couple of weeks, eventually all four seasons of it will live in perpetuity, yeah, whether it's on Amazon or Peacock NBC or yeah. whatever it might be, right? And so, so the obligation is to just finish the story in a satisfying way for people who want to watch it. Right. That does contrast with um, our very spirited engagement with Succession, which, you know, I, I think is the best show on TV at the moment, but definitely is benefiting in terms of the the um, hot take industrial complex. Dude, it's benefiting from its week to week. Sure. Deployment. Yes. I don't know if that gives it a stronger foothold in the future or not, but. It definitely is well. It and it and it has the benefit of being a, if not completely. It's not necessarily totally rooted in this reality, but mm-hmm. it is very much like they obviously wrote about Me Too this year. They mm-hmm. it feels a little bit more of the moment, and I think in season three or four mm-hmm. of Succession, there will probably be an accumulation of Succession plot that will constantly being re- be be referenced, mm-hmm. and there will be. We'll we'll have some exhaustion at if Logan is still sitting there and we're waiting for you know oh you can feel it coming it's the Connor season and we're you know we're, we'll we'll have like there will be fatigue with it just like there's fatigue with everything I think that there's it's a real challenge to make multi season television anymore that I mean you can read it in in David Lindelof's interview from New York Comic Con right. about Watchmen where he talks a, a bunch about the making of the show and a lot of his I think you know fair to say anxiety about the release of the show mm-hmm. and. Um, the interviewer asks him pretty a pretty like normal question about mm-hmm. like well maybe that'll be you'll hit that in season two or are there future seasons planned and he's just like I don't know and and I don't know if I want to make them yeah you know uh, he's like we've made it so that it's a contained season but I don't know that I want to keep making Watchmen well and it it does seem like there's a little bit more buzz or or emphasis on starting something and having you know, a new show yeah then there is like hey season four pretty good job oh i mean the 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 there, there's no question about that i mean the obsession with newness 
has trickled into everything, right? I mean, we have to you have to have a response, you have to have a, a, a take. I mean, the the argument over Joker had four or five life cycles before the film even released. You know, there is no patience for the slow burn anymore across across anything. I do think that one of the things that that conversation reflects with Damon that I rec- I, I definitely think people should check out, and I know you and I are both super psyched yeah, to see Watchmen. Yeah, it's on Deadline. Yeah, people are looking for um, it. Very curious about what he's done with it. But um, the, there is something fundamentally off about TV right now. And it's not, and I say this having now come out of at least one of the trenches, there mm-hmm. are multiple trenches still to go. <laughs> yeah, try watching it. Um, <laughs> dude, I just might. That's the only thing left for me. Um, is that the expectation now from a certain audience, a certain segment of the audience, and certainly from industry gatekeepers, mm-hmm. is the highest cinematic quality, the riskiest and boldest and freshest storytelling, um, the glossiest of talent in every facet of it, um, and the best, sexiest ideas, all done essentially in the same factory setting framework as TV has always been made. Sure. Um, Both budget-wise. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not possible. It just simply isn't possible. It's not sustainable. I mean, I say this as someone who did 10 episodes of a show that was that tells one story. So we're trying to leave it all out on, on the field. Um, with five, no, we worked ultimately with uh, seven, seven directors mm-hmm. over 10 episodes, I think. Um, fantastic, talented people who had eight days to make their episodes. You know, that's why Scorsese turned you down. That is why Scorsese turned me down. Well, also, also <laughs> to be fair, I spent the majority of the interview uh, talking about Doctor Strange and the perils of the multiverse. I, I thought you had him, and then you just kept saying, "I am Groot." Yeah, and, and it just seemed like he he maybe you maybe lost him right there. Honestly, it was my commitment to the bit. Yeah, that pushed him away. <laughs> it was the eleventh minute. It was. I am Groot. <laughs> it's, it's, but he was just like, "No, Andy, see, I love the script, and I'd love to make it, and I, like, I, I just do it like this and this." Yeah. and you're like, "I am Groot." In retrospect, it was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, but all of it is part of that too. The whole like, well, what are you going to do next? What's your next season? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Like, I was. We wrapped last Friday, and people were asking me about future seasons or future plans on on Monday, and I was like, "Today is the Jewish New Year, mm-hmm. sir. <laughs> I have apples <laughs> and honey in my sir, mouth. This is a Jewish, sir. New this year. is a synagogue." <laughs> Please don't ask me that. Uh, um, yeah, it, it's I, I completely understand where Damon's coming from, you know, and I, and I also understand why Sam wanted to take a break and do Homecoming, you know, to sort of recharge and try something completely different in Sam's the middle idea of, of a season. break is directing every episode of Homecoming of, of a right of a paranoid thriller starring yeah. a movie star. I mean that he is wired differently than the rest of us. But, but what's that, the what? So Robot is back. You're talking, I think I saw some other conversation about whether or not like it was grabbing, it, it had, it still had its place in the central like, right. part of like the television landscape. What is that place? Well, I mean, I, I think that that's really hard. Is it, I think in some ways it's, it's quote unquote, it's Netflix mm-hmm. or it is, it is whatever, like us, whatever Sunday night on HBO is still, mm-hmm. you know, but I think whatever that place is, it's much smaller it's a much smaller like landing zone than it used to be, and it's a very different experience. Because but I'm, I was going to ask you, like, what's the last show? So Thrones, right? 
I think you could make an argument for Peaky Blinders, although I think there's like, it's, I don't know if Peaky Blinders is winning a lot of new fans aside from me. You're trying hard. Yeah, you're working on it. Um, what's like a show that's on season four or five and people are like, it's back. Season five of this. No, I I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was going to say, well, let me answer your question by not answering your question. Sure. I, I was going to say that this idea of something grabbing the, the, the zeitgeist or the psyche of a nation or whatever is just, it's a fundamentally different process now. I think the best show of the year, in my mind, full stop over the whole year, I can't imagine anything changing in the next two months, is Fleabag season two. And I know I'm not alone in that. And even so, the experience of that taking over really felt more like reading a fantastic book and then lending it to someone. Yes. It has spread in a very different way. Like, yes. here's a secret joy for you. Check it out. Yes. At your own pace. It did not, it did feel removed from that week to week scrum. One of the, what was one of the main selling points on that show? Hot Priest. So easy. So easy to get through. Oh. It takes three hours. Yeah. Right. The running time mm-hmm. and the contained aspect of it, without question. Um or two hours or whatever it is. Your, to your point about multiple season things, I mean, that is, I think you've really nailed it. It's actually something that we've avoided talking about for a while, partly because, you know, I, I don't watch television anymore. But in general, there haven't been that many returning shows that we've, that we've covered. And we can sort of go through the reasons why. It's interesting to give John Landgraf credit again for something, but I think we should. He's the, as everyone, many people who listen to this podcast know, he's the, I think he's chairman now, his title keeps going up at FX, um, the network in the studio. And a couple years ago, he was the one who identified miniseries, event series, whatever you want to call them, as kind of this great market inefficiency, at least was out there saying it, and really led the charge in, in, in turning his drama development in that direction. He's also been very upfront about what is the next drama hit? What would that even look like? And he has shows on his air that he's very happy with and that I know the fans are very happy with mm-hmm. and we haven't really engaged with. Um, shows like um, uh, The Mayans, the, the, the yeah. um, uh, Sons, Sons of Anarchy, Anarchy spinoff, yeah. and then Snowfall, which, and is, Pose, yeah. which, which has just been renewed for another season. Yeah. Uh, these are steady performers for him and the network, but they are different, not just different from you know, uh, Mad Men or Sons of Anarchy in terms of their year-to-year growth and their episode-by-episode conversation, but um, also different from the Americans, which feels like there's no way that could have launched uh, in this landscape in the way that it did, building to its Emmy nominations in its final yeah, season. Absolutely. Um, I'm thinking about that statistic that, that was getting wildly dragged on Twitter this weekend, which is like 15% of people under the age of 25 have ever listened to a whole album. Like people's way of consuming music is yeah. different. People listen to singles or they make their own playlists. The album as the end all be all is quite different. And it does seem like that is affecting television as well. The idea of a multi-volume body of work um, doesn't seem to have the well, same I, and I appeal. Just think it's actually the shows that we started podcasting about originally. Mm-hmm. Down Nabby. You know, absolutely. Terriers. That showed us don't wait to use your best material. So mm-hmm. the idea of plot, I mean, Mad Men was probably the last thing where I was like, obviously there were these beats that he was going to hit every season until he got to the end. And mm-hmm. I know that there was probably like, oh, should we go this long or this long or split the season or whatever? But when you think about the big key moments in that and the way they were parceled out over the course of, of those seasons, and the same thing goes for Breaking Bad, working towards working backwards from an ending almost. Mm-hmm. The idea that you would wait that you would think, I know I have three seasons. So what I'm going to do is make sure that season two has this. It seems like people burn through that stuff. The Americans, if it was made today, 
would be so much more breakneck, yes. I think. They would because they would have to capture everybody's imagination. And likely it would be on a streaming service so that it would be, you know, you, you would want to have that a much more addictive kind of turn the page narrative aspect. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the Americans was it was still a more a more traditional drama in some ways. I mean, there's a there were some in some of the reviews that that, <clears throat> that we got for Briar Patch coming out of Toronto. There were a lot of the reviews, and I understand why, um, were kind of more about our network than the show about USA and talking about the different eras of USA and you know blue skies, characters welcome, yeah, and then Mr. Robot kind of changing things. But then some of the reviewers were asking, well, wh- where's the rest of that change? Is is Briar Patch going to be that? What else is on tap? And the majority of shows that USA has or has coming up are, well, I don't want to say majority because I don't actually have the numbers, but there are a large number of them are anthology shows. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking to the way people consume uh, TV these days, in, you know, maybe in season-sized chunks and wanting to commit knowing that there's an end in sight. But also, I believe this to be the case, selfishly, it's great for me with Briar Patch, if we get to do another season of it in and tell a different story, because it essentially has to be marketed and promoted like a new show. Mm-hmm. So every season is that's a new what show. happens with Fargo. That's what I mean, happens with Fargo you know, with American Far- Crime Story. The first two Fargos are these completely treasured experiences. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Ewan McGregor season, people were like, "Oh yeah, cool, Fargo." Mm-hmm. It's, they're they're still doing Fargo, and now this Chris Rock season that's coming. I, I, I've had like five conversations with people like, yeah, I cannot wait for Fargo to come back. It, it, it is embracing the event part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the, the more successful, and, and once again, the UK was kind of leading the way with this, but turning shows that very easily could have, and maybe in the past one would have argued should have been um, standard serialized drama, mm-hmm. whether they're on the British model of six episodes or eight episodes or the, the HBO model or whatever, have sort of reimagined themselves as event series, meaning whenever we get back to it. Yep. So Sherlock or Luther, right? These are these are church, yeah, yeah. These are essentially they're just drama shows, right? And when you show up, when you watch Luther on Netflix or whatever, however many seasons of it there are, they're all there. You don't feel the two year gap while Idris went and filmed six other things, right? There's just another season of it. Um, that's probably a smart way to play it. And it's certainly smart for a network like, like FX when you're dealing with Noah Hawley who you know goes and makes a movie or you know works on Legion or whatever. I don't know, and we should call John Landgraf and ask, what that does to his bottom line because he needs repeatable, dependable content, right? And that, But for him, doesn't he have that by being able to show Transformers all day? Well, I, I wonder. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 this, this brings us, so this, this is a free-flowing and wide-ranging well, conversation. No, but I, I think one of the things that's been hanging over this pod and, you know, ultimately hanging over, like, conversation about culture yeah. in a lot of ways is it's never been a better time to just be the average consumer because you have Correct. so much choice. Yeah. There's so much good stuff out there. You can, you can put together an incredible suite of entertainment for yourself. Right. And it's never been harder to follow it. Yeah. And it's never been harder to feel like you're a tastemaker or like you're curating or like you're, you're actually have a real, your hands around the critical landscape of Mm -hmm. what's happening. It's in, it is actually like, I was thinking about this this year when we do a 10 best, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be 10 best. It's going to be the 10, our 10 favorite things that we saw this year, Mm -hmm. because inevitably there will be hundreds of hours of television that we just didn't get to. 
mm-hmm. which is unlike almost any other year, even the peak TV years that we've come through, we are now like way beyond that. We are now at a point where like I openly acknowledge that there are phenomenal shows that I just do not have the time to get to. What's crazy to me, and, and I think this is not going to be groundbreaking to anyone, but now that I've just lived through it, I think about it a lot, which is, you know, we just spent four months making making the season of the show with just, you know, dedicated crew and professionals who are so good at their job and working so hard in, in the desert at crazy hours. There's no, there are no days off. I mean, we shot for... Just one, so I'd love it if you were like, and we, you know, we were out there and we were shooting with just the biggest, laziest bunch of layabout <laughs> teamsters who couldn't wait to punch you think, out. <laughs> you think that's, that's, that's the smart take for me to... <laughs> Speaking of cancel culture. Speaking um, of the Irishman. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, all things come to an end. Yeah. Um, and thinking that every show that gets made has a crew like this, you know, working for 15 weeks without a day off, just making something mm-hmm. for it to be slotted into Netflix's That's actually, if you do algorithm. the case against Richard Jewell. Yeah, you're done. At, you're done at like two o'clock every day. Oh, if I work if you, with Clint, yeah, if you're done. If you're working with Clint, that's lunch. It is wild to me now that I have some filming perspective. What he does, because for people who don't realize this, Clint Eastwood does like two takes max of everything. And he shot. He started shooting this Richard Jewell movie in June, yeah. and it's coming out at Christmas. I mean, it is. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, but just that all this work, all this effort, all this writing, all these things to 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 just be potentially lost is mm-hmm. wild. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think about that a lot. And, and, and you see this need for the content just to fill the space is so, it's so outrageous. I mean, it, the big beneficiaries, of course, are the, you know, the executive producers and points holders on like Big Bang Theory and Seinfeld and Friends who are actually, I mean, the, these shows, the old shows really are the, um, they're the load-bearing walls of all the, of this. That's the thing is it's like the old shows <laughs> when the the old way of doing things yeah. have actually proven to be really useful, and wh- what I meant by it's it's there's never been a better time to be a consumer. There's never yeah. been a harder time to be a follower or a watcher. Yeah, I I wonder whether John Landgraf's bottom line is just fine. I yeah. wonder whether or not like he has like the old school day of like, oh hey, a few good men or you know Transformers, Dark Side of the Moon is on FX for for an hour before it's always sunny comes on. Yeah. I'll just like leave this on. Yeah, you know what I mean, I mean like I, I, I wonder whether or not like we're overthinking it in some ways, which would be bad for the podcast because obviously we need to overthink things. Overthinking is good. Yeah, it, I, I, I'll, I'll say that when I was I was setting the old DVR like a like an old school person for Mr. Robot last night, I was scrolling through the options on USA right before, and it was like six hours of Law and Order SVU. Yeah, my mom was definitely watching that. That is very popular show. Yeah. that is the longest running show in the history of network drama. I believe now it's a twenty one seasons or something. Twenty two yeah. seasons. That's still what works. And all this other stuff is, I mean, are we just the icing? You know what I will also say, and this is a much longer conversation, Mm. but I don't think we talk enough probably in terms of, I don't want to talk about this, but I I don't think we talk enough about the role, how how the real monoculture and the real show that everybody's watching all the time now is the news. Right. And I I do feel like that has taken up a much larger part of people's lives than it used to, obviously, mm-hmm. because of the way that they've kind of mechanized, like, we can just give you an update every 15 minutes. And right. then there can be something else, and then there's something else, and then there's something else. And that's the show that we've been watching for three years, regardless mm-hmm. of how you feel about it. Like, that's the show that people have been watching. I mean, I watched it on Sunday with with the China NBA stuff. Right. And, and, then, and then Turkey 
at the end of the day. And it was like, these are two of the biggest news stories of the year. They're just like scrunched together on a Sunday. Aside from the fact that there's also a day of NFL content, like Succession and Mr. Robot. How are you supposed to like step up to that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think people's levels of what they want out of TV in this landscape have shifted a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, would a show like Mr. Robot that is intentionally provocative offer people the kind of, I don't want to say comfort because I don't want to diminish shows that are doing very well this year. And I don't want to say escapism either, but I do think that watching uh, Fleabag or Big Mouth, which just returned this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, th- those engage with different muscles than, Absolutely. than Absolutely. A, a demanding or difficult or, or you know, relevance, the wrong word too. I'm choosing all the wrong words today, but I think you know what I mean. I wanted to turn quickly to succession. Sure. I know you guys have a whole show about it, but I wanted to get, and if this is a sneak preview of what our listeners are about to hear, stop me. I'll take my Your answer offline. Your thoughts are always valued on this show. Well, I, I was going to ask you. Uh-huh. Um, it was, the show has been such a uh, jacuzzi of pleasure this season. Uh-huh. That the last two weeks turn towards, um, I don't want to say plot, because there's always a lot of plot, but uh, turn towards, you know, back towards the sort of dramatic narrative of this in a different way. The background radio chatter is now the main storyline of this of this show. Correct. Yeah. Felt. Like the stuff like where it's like, who's Lester? And it's in the back and the cruise ships and the like, documents. Oh, we're going to do this now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was interesting. And- you know, it didn't feel conventional is a good thing, honestly, when it comes to shows like Succession. But I, it was noticeable. Mm-hmm. What I also appreciated, though, was that even in an episode that was kind of conforming to some degree with a conventional penultimate episode, where there's you know a big um, there are betrayals and plot twists and characters abandoning other characters and things really seem to be on the line. And now we're into blood sacrifice, so now it's just like Game of Thrones. Um, that it's still stuck to its core value, which is something that if we get Jesse Armstrong back on the pod, I'd love to ask him about. He just seems to understand that the the DNA of the show is to pick it, an event and do it like Gosford Park. Mm-hmm. It's upstairs, downstairs. Yeah. Or sometimes there's no stairs. Mm-hmm. But whether it's that, uh, you know, the, the, the strange Scottish ballroom where Dundee took place last week or the United States Senate this week, <laughs> people are always walking in and out of rooms, conspiring and then dumping on each other and conspiring and dumping and understanding that that's the structure of the show in the same way that uh, the structure of Cheers was people walk into a bar and talk about stuff. Yes. Is in its nature conventional, but I really, really appreciate it. And I do think that that's an underrated aspect of why the show is connecting with so many people because people well, because do want to know what they're in for when they when they sit down and and turn it on. To make event television, mm-hmm. you have to have the television be an event. Mm-hmm. You have to have the story be an event. Mm-hmm. And every episode of Succession feels like an event. It's the ones that are a little bit more conventional that I think slip away a little bit. Like Return, the London episode, mm-hmm. was very good. But had A, B, and C plots kind of happening, like right. a normal television show. It's like you go see your mother and you go, we're gonna go see the the victim's family, and then there's gonna be some Reyes stuff. And it's like it it operated like a kind of traditional drama. It's when they have everybody in two rooms walking in and out and and motherfucking one another. Yeah. That's when it's like, this is electric shit, and I have to be on on hand to watch it. But I think it also speaks to the fact that succession is successfully 
satisfying two different types of fans. Yeah. Because for me, Return was one of the best episodes of the season because the other stuff sort of fell away and it was just emotional storytelling and acting, which I'm a sucker for and I love. And this episode left me colder than that one. Um, last night's episode, DC. Uh-huh. Uh, left me colder than that one because do I... You know, the central question of the show, who will take over this company, will this company survive, is fundamentally less interesting to me. That is not why I'm watching the show, even though it is why the show exists. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. And that that idea, and we talked a lot about sustainability and succession is one of those shows that I think has probably gained more fa- followers and gained more fans in its second season. Yeah. And it's it's an example of old school, first season, beloved Sec- people catch up with it. Second season comes out. People are fanatical about it. By the end of the second season, it becomes like the thing everybody's waiting for. All mm-hmm. week. But the sustainability of this show is is going to be complicated because I've talked. I mean, we talked a little bit about it. Would the format of every season be Kendall with season one, Shiv with season two? Would Roman be season three in terms of the person who we're following through their possibly failed attempt at right. at unseating Logan? How much longer can you just do Logan in rooms telling people to fuck off? Well, how much longer can you just do the beloved people, same people in the same room? Well, that's why I think Holly Hunter and Terry Jones and the people that they bring in are so yes. brilliant. Because it, it's, ju- it's, it's just the right mix. Is the blood sacrifice Tom? Which it would appear to be. I See, I thought it was Kendall. I think, I think it's obviously Kendall. It's oh, like why he's had Kendall around the whole time. Oh, like actual blood. Yeah. It's good to talk to someone who's watching the show closely. <laughs> yeah. Is there any sort of they show... They cut away to Kendall's performance on television as he says we need to have a blood sacrifice. Is there any show that I could watch after the show <laughs> that could help me navigate these choppy waters? That's a great segue. Um, well, my point being, one of the things... The, the interesting thing to, to me, looking at Succession, which, you know, and I, and I stand by everything I said a, a week ago, a week and a half ago, which is that you can see a lot of the fault lines that the show has not... Um, chased yet that are exciting like all the various things that are going to break apart and relationships and things that stories still to be told um in terms you know in terms of these people and their relationship to power and to the company but how bold will they be in terms of the hard reset yeah will they kick someone out of the core group and then that person's storyline is separate will it be you know a separate plot line separate supporting characters for that person will someone be in exile for a season will someone be off the show for a season sure. and come back unclear one thing that the show ha- that we've celebrated the show for rightly is it's it's absolute understanding of our love of community that even frank who is on the outs comes back comes back because yeah. we want these same people in this room and also it's got that veep energy of like hey we got a really funny guest star this week you know what? Stick around. Hugh Laurie, just be here for a season and a half. We yeah. can always <laughs> find room in this half hour show for yes. 16 hundred mile per hour fastball throwing hurlers. Yes. And that we're on that trajectory now, right? With just adding, 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 adding. And the question for this finale and then going into future seasons will be who gets subtracted. It's been great to have you back. Whew, whoa, did How we are get you, you feeling okay? Yeah, what was in this coffee? <laughs> Caffeine. Was it cool? Uh, it's great to have Andy back. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go right into the audio for me and Jason's after show number one, Boys, which comes on after every episode of Succession. But next week, we're going to be doing it on Monday, the finale. So we'll, we'll, we'll do Succession after show on Monday next week. So just Thank uh, you for inviting your number two boy back. It feels it's, good. It's great to see you, honestly. Feel, it feels, it's good to see you too, buddy. Good, to, good to talk to you, Baranskis. 
Hello and welcome to Number One Boys, a succession after show from The Ringer. This is Jason Concepcion. I am Chris Raya. We are here to talk about the penultimate episode of season two of Succession. It's called DC. And it uh things got a little dark. It got, it's dark. got a little serious in this one. So let's talk about it from the top before we get into buy or sell. I want to talk about the Kira ship scene. Because yeah. I think that's gonna be what everybody is talking about mm -hmm. after this episode. Um, just the broad strokes of it. Senator Evis, played by Eric Bogosian, I think is sort of supposed to be a kind of Bernie Sanders stand-in. Right. Uh, he has a witness, Kira, who used to work under Lester, a.k.a. Mo Lester. There's a very long and torturous scene with Tom breaking down whether or not that's a joke or not. It obviously isn't. Uh, he has this uh, witness named Kira who can personally attest to Lester's sort of reign of terror. Uh, while at cruises, he sexually assaulted her. He sexually assaulted other people. There's some very unflattering business about um, not real people. Right. You know, potential uh, murders and certainly deaths yes. that occurred. Yes. And uh, it turns out that Rhea has an in at Senator Gilliard, who is Gilliard's uh, sort of peer. Co yeah, co chair. Co chair of, of this the, committee. The committee. Gilliard, not Gillibrand. Because uh, <laughs> I did a double take. When <laughs> I saw that. And Rhea orchestrates it so that. She and Shiv can go visit Kira before right. she's supposed to testify uh, in front of the Senate committee. Um, and right at the last second, Rhea fails. She's just like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't be a part of this. Shiv gives an explanation as to why, because if this person testifies, it's the end of my family. Mm -hmm. She goes out there and she essentially lays it out. She's like, if you testify in front of these people, this will be all you are for the rest of your life. Every time they Google, if somebody Googles you, every time your kids Google you, every time anybody, your your obituary leads with this and ends with this. If you work with me on this, not only will you get paid, but you and I can work together to destroy the men who did this to you. Mm -hmm. And she says, I will kill them for what they've done. And then she said, like, can I trust you to Shiv? Kira asks Shiv, and she trust her? And says she no. says no. So question here is the question that kind of dogs this show and it will definitely be the conversation between DC and the finale as to what extent Shiv is being sincere. Right. Um, uh, what was your read on the scene, just in broad strokes? I think that, you know, I think she, the one time she was being purely truthful was when she said, Don't, I, you can't trust me, right. I have uh, my own personal aims that I'm going for, as does everyone else. Um, I, I don't think, I think she's being sincere after a fashion. Is she going to literally murder these men that did it? No, no, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Like, she's, I, to what extent is she going to ruin them? Like, she'll fire them, certainly, but they'll probably walk away with some significant severance packages in order to keep their mouths shut about how far this really goes. I think that um, she's trying to save her company. What I was really struck by is the extent to which she's willing to compromise her morals or what her political ideological stance is or, you right. know, in order to further uh, her aims, which are saving her family's company. Or or ascending to the top of it. Is it the same thing? It, I, yeah. Right. It is the I same, guess it yeah. is the same it thing. It is the same thing. This is a pretty fluid situation because I yeah. think when Shiv is making these promises to Kira, the idea is to put the face of this scandal, make it Bill Lockhart. Right, who right. is this guy who we are introduced to uh, earlier in the episode, who everybody seems to like, tried to clean up that department. Coins coins the term death pit. But is essentially uh, is essentially like the easiest patsy for all of right, this. He's retired. He goes up to Logan at the end of the episode and yeah. is like, 
you know, just wanted to support you, you know, remember the old times. Right. I remember the old times. I have all the diaries. I could write a book, but I won't because who has, who has the time? And so Bill is essentially off the project now. You can't really blame this on Bill because right. he's immediately going to tell all if that happens. And so they are running out of patsies and that leaves presumably Kendall, which is we're going to get into the blood sacrifice part, but I just wanted to touch one more time on Shiv. I think the thing that was really interesting about this scene is often what you see with the Roy's is they're being vicious to one another right. behind closed doors. Yeah, like they'll mock people and you know, there's obviously moments where they shout down a waiter or you know, yell at somebody. But for the most part, their viciousness is kept in the viper circle of their yeah. own family. And this is the first time that we actually see like a Roy out in the wild bending reality to their will. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I was struck by is, one of the reasons that we love Greg is because Greg early on, or at least up to now, has been the kind of uh, regular person's avatar. Mm -hmm. This kind of like normal-ish person who has entered the orbit of these titans. Um, and it is much less flattering or funny when it, so, if someone without the family connections, just like a workaday person enters the orbit of these people. Yeah, who's, like Akira. Yeah. Like Akira, who's able, uh, enters the orbit of the Roy's, Waystar, enters the orbit of Shiv, these people who can literally, with a snap of a finger, change someone's life monetarily. Right. Um, and say, listen, we'll give you millions. That's not an issue. Right. We can do, we can do that today. Book deal. But yeah. Easy. Um, and that is f uh, frightening and quite sobering to think of the ways uh, that normal people lack agency in the world that is succession and in the world that is the world. Yeah, it's like the, the pond that there's, this show skates on is pretty thin. Yeah. The, the, the ice is pretty thin. It's essentially trying to entertain you and make you laugh while also presenting these like objectively pretty despicable people. Shiv has yeah. often been held as like the person who's outside of that, that Shiv was working for this Democratic candidate for president. Right. She kind of looked down on her family. She kept her distance. Right. She wanted to become the CEO when that wasn't the case. I think we assumed based on her conversations with Kendall uh, I think after Argestes, like when she's like, you know, Rhea seems to be in the cut here. Right. That um, that that she had some sort of other plan for Waystar Royco, but she, yeah. the, the, she's got her hands dirty now. I, so I think that'll be an interesting in, in going forward to see how people relate to Shiv if, in fact, she goes back on her word on Kira. I thought it was a fascinating moment when uh, when Rhea essentially found the, the last shreds of her like uh, reputation and decided to keep those intact yeah. rather than at the very last at the very last moment yeah. rather than uh tarnish herself with this really tawdry and pretty evil pretty scheme criminal, yeah. to uh pressure the victim of a crime into not testifying right um that was fascinating uh, let's get into buy or sell. We, we sort of handled the Shiv and Kira scene. My first thing that I'm buying or selling, I am buying Blood Sacrifice. Hello. Uh, what an amazing final moment. So yeah. the implication here is obviously that Logan is talking about Kendall. They cut I, away I to the television. So. They're talking about Kendall. And that he has been keeping Kendall propped up this whole time. For this moment. For this exact kind of scenario. If yeah. not literally because of cruises, he knew that he would eventually need a fall guy. He starts pushing him out on the plank when... He's being questioned by Gil Evans and Gil Evans, and he says, "Hey, well, in fact, my son, my son can answer those questions. Can answer these questions." And Kendall uh, quite masterfully parries that uh, moment right. by, you know, feigning this uh, 
indignation that anyone would even ask the question, sir, you're biased against my family, right. and this is why this investigation is happening. Uh, but I think that quite obviously presages uh, the knives out for Kendall. Yeah, and I think that Logan's leverage over Kendall is essentially you can either take the the fatal bullet, which would be manslaughter charges against right. you go for to jail. killing this guy. How'd you like to go to jail? Or you can take all the bullets for this family and maybe one day survive them. Now, whether or not Kendall is in just as deep amount of trouble as he would be if he had just copped to what happened on the night of Shiv's wedding in the first place is a completely other story. But I think um, Logan can still be right about blood sacrifice and we can still be wrong about who the lamb might be. Yeah. Because I think... There might be a blood sacrifice, but if Shiv and Kendall are still aligned the way we think that they might be, it might be that Logan is the is the lamb. Yeah, I agree. Um, I am buying an umbrella. <laughs> it's going to rain one day, and you want to have one, as Bill does. Yeah. Um, you know, when Bill shows up in D.C. saying, oh, you know, it's like Magic Johnson's retired, but he's still part of the Lakers. No, 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 no. <laughs> when Bill handed off the reins to Tom... He did so using an air-gapped computer, uh -huh. talking about files, being very careful to do about to use vague language. Um, always have an umbrella mm -hmm. for that rainy day. I think that Ken certainly wishes he had one now. And I think one of the things that's that I find intriguing is the best, the strongest position at this point is almost who decides to flip first. Who decides to to go public first and say, okay, all my cards on the table, here's what I did, immunity, right. and I will tell. Right. Um, will that be Bill? That's a great position for Bill. Turn around and say, hey, uh, they're trying to screw me, let me get there first. Could Kendall say, hey, I want immunity for crimes, and I will tell you everything. Right. Um, I think that that is an interesting uh opportunity for a lot of people who right has now. who has those insurance policies greg took a, a few pieces of paper from the barbecue grill on tom's balcony when they were certainly trying to light certainly it. does not have the uh the the amount of material that we assume bill has right right tom has nothing because he burned it all uh and also is culpable for most of it and also like lied before congress <laughs> and has also perjured himself before congress yeah, it's essentially like it, you're right. It's it's a, if not enough people have insurance, so it's essentially now who jumps off the boat. who jump who goes first and who anticipates what Logan is doing to Kendall because yeah. the one thing that Shiv doesn't know is why Logan Correct. would do this to Kendall. Correct. Uh, I am selling congressional hearing prep. I love the line of like you are murder bordered out. You're fully prepped. You're good, baby. Clearly, Tom was the wrong starting pitcher to send out there for the wild card game. That guy was he got lit up. A guy, I, listen, the way the he meat sandwich. Considering his performance in front of the uh, the law firm that was supposed to be the softball yeah. law firm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was never any go ever going to be any outcome except for Tom melting like soft serve ice cream under a heat lamp. Like he was not ready for this the uh the, it's gonna not be remembered because so much other stuff happened in this scene but i think one of my favorite moments of the season was all of them watching the 60 minutes style report in the beginning of the episode and trying to be cool yeah it's really be like oh jerry yeah! yeah and it's just like oh no your mother's gonna be very proud of you <laughs> seeing that like or uh Oh, now, now uh, he doesn't remember. You know, right. like all this kind of right. like as if they're Resolve. watching like a football yeah. game. Yeah. What's your what? Are you, what else are you selling? I'm selling. Uh, I'm selling shamelessness. I think that, um, you know, 
there's never been a better time to just be like, yeah, I did it, so what? Yeah. Uh, the moment when Kendall turns the tables by, you know, faking this indignation. The bias, at, yeah. At, at, that how dare you ever come at my family in this way, sir? Have you no honor, sir? This kind of like uh, funhouse Keith Olbermann yeah. act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm selling it in the sense of like not you will die in jail. You sir. will. How dare you, sir? Have you no self-respect? I am selling it not in the sense of like getting rid of it, but I'm selling it in the sense that this is what people are selling right now. This is what Kendall sold. Uh, this this kind of like shameless how dare you act in front of the world, and it is clearly working. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so who's our number one boy this week? Oh man. This is a tough one because it's like, congratulations, you're the number you're, one boy of this shit show. Absolute piece of shit. Like, you can make the argument that Rhea, she like hit eject like right before like it collided with the ground. Yeah, like she had a great um, turn of phrase, which is like, I don't know where the bottom of the pool is. Yeah, right. I can't see the bottom of the pool or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that she'd be a good one. I think you might say that uh, Senator Gill, number one boy for actually forgetting his enemies. Basically, where he wants them, giving over, you know, telling about the witness was an own goal of Titanic proportions yeah, that know. didn't need to happen. Just keep your mouth shut and let it, let it go down. They didn't show that on camera. Like right. The, the, like, the actual, like, exchange of information like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Shiv will come out of this episode with, in, like, the kind of pole position. Sure. Because she can break either with Logan or Kendall. But it's hard to give her number one boy because she is essentially like put her soul in <laughs> really, escrow and whether yes. or not she gets it back is is it the question. Uh, let's go to biggest burn of the week. I really enjoyed, man, what a comeback for Nate. Nate dog. Missed you dog. Back in I, it. I, I, like Nate, Nate's like little like war room Stephanopoulos thing. Like I loved it. <laughs> I wish we still had more of it. Um, I'll give you a clue. It actually rhymes very precisely with your fucked. Good job. Nice one, Nate. Welcome back. Yeah, you know, Nate's kind of petty transgressions really really pale in the light of uh, the other things that are happening in this show right now. I am going Nate as well. I'm going to go with Tashiv. Says the person whose husband was just called a smirking block of domestic feta by The Atlantic. The Atlantic wishes. The Atlantic <laughs> wishes they had bars like that. Come on! <laughs> Um, all right, so line of the week. Uh, I just thought we had just an amazing, amazing yeah. Roman situation. Like, I, I honest, I don't want to separate Roman from the family at all. Competent Roman is but is globe trotting Roman with Laird wild shit right now in war zones. Um, I will Laird and Carl as his as his uh, little minions. Add five dollars to my HBO <laughs> subscription if that happens. <laughs> Roman in the war zone is amazing. Uh, can I ask, not to make this all about us, but are they going to shoot us at any point? And then Laird being like, I am also intrigued on that. Unbelievable, play. unbelievable line from Laird. What did you have for line of the week? I'm going to go with Tom uh, under the under the Klieg lights. <laughs> asked about uh, he, uh, footstooling. Yeah. And, yeah. And human furniture. And human furniture. Uh, he says... Uh, Senator, I use a variety of target-oriented incentives to enhance optimal f performance. Great bullshit answer. Unbelievable bullshit answer from our from our guy Tom. And runner-up for Roman uh, when he is <laughs> hostage uh, with Laird and Carl, and he asks, uh, "Let's play Mary Fuck Kill in the executive suite." And then 
Laird, Laird says, says he's Jerry, yeah. Laird said is he's Mary Jerry, and then Roman says, You marry Jerry, you sick fuck. <laughs> Jerry? You like Jerry? Oh, that's hilarious. You're fucking disgusting. Jerry, ooh. Hot. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, let's do uh finance 101. Oh yes. Sovereign wealth funds. Right. This is one of my favorite terms because it's really just three words that all say the same thing. Right. Sovereign wealth and fun. <laughs> just say money. Yeah. More just money and money. Dirty money, man. It's king money. Right. It's just when you get money from a royal family right. that is using basically the whatever tax base and gross Love domestic it. product of their country as an investment fund and turning it into like a, and becoming a hedge fund essentially. Listen, uh, royal, there's royalty, royal titles, castles. There's never been a better and more socially acceptable way to uh, launder money that you got from like killing people 500 years ago. And this is like actually really ties in with what we'll do is let them eat cake, which is the rich moment of the week. Yeah. Roman has co-bought this soccer team, I love which it. is actually something that happens all the time it's now. Hearts? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually now I'm like, I know, I'm, I'm like wait, is it hearts and hips and Logan likes, I, I get, they actually went through with the buy. <laughs> yeah. They bought hearts because they had, obvi- I don't know how they decided to buy hearts and in the time and they before did they told Logan. <laughs> made the purchase but they did and now they're in edinburgh like just giving team talks and that's what you can do when you let them eat cake you have your rich guy of the week just gets to give team talks to soccer squads there's that great moment where (laughs) where edward has to correct them on it like he's like hips hearts yeah and it's like they both are not sure which one it is i know it's i'm it's to the point now where i'm actually like wait is which one is it in the same way that there's roman in the war zone uh spinoff potential yeah i would just love like edward firing a manager every three weeks like in scotland and having to like hire a new guy so uh roman gives this team talk do you want to do it uh sure hey uh really proud to be associated with you guys uh well what the fuck can i tell you that you don't already know you got all this guys don't worry about it you guys are a team and when a team is a team they actually can't physically be beaten. It's impossible. So go hard, go fast, go, you lovely bastard. I hope we at the ringer cut Roman's team talk in with the footage from Miracle. Yeah. Where the guys are sitting, the USA team is sitting in the, the locker room at Lake Placid. Uh, let's get into predictions. Yes. So season finale. Uh, usually we kind of yada yada this, not because we don't care about predictions, but we are at like the end of the road here. Succession is a very successful show. We will get a season three, I, I guarantee it. But what do you, how much of a cliffhanger do we get? How much closure do we get at the end of this next, at, at the end of the finale? Mm. Has Logan been deposed? Like, is he, is he I, out? I don't think he's, I, I, he's not out. I don't think he can be out. But Wait, I do think, Marcia I do, yeah, I do think what you'll see, I predict Kendall telling Shiv that he killed a guy. Okay. I, I, I mean, that has to happen. Right. At some point, it's got to happen. I think she would at least give him the heads up that you're about to get get your throat cut. Right, I think this is why. This yeah, is I think he'll say this is why. I will make a further prediction that, like, so the the hotel hostage situation is a really interesting callback to a thing that happened a couple years back when uh, 
our good friend, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, the crown prince, nominal crown prince of Saudi Arabia, was on the rise and he basically took all his opponents That's right. within the kingdom and gathered them at the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh and made them stay there. I think there might be some of them still there right now. And kind of said, oh, everybody's, we're just having a meeting of yeah. people, like, and very little information could come out. A very shaky cell phone video came out. But it was of, like, essentially people. his version of, like, the Corleone Baptism Day. Right. I think we're, I think as we go forward, we're going to see more uh, things like that pulled directly from events that, that happen. Yeah, I mean, like, the soccer club stuff is is very much, like, in yeah. the air right now. The, like you're saying, that's that's a very good point. And the tenor of where they took this show and where they took the Roy family and putting yeah. them in the kind of the Me Too era and also the era of like, I think an increased awareness of congressional oversight on big businesses, which yeah. is like obviously become a major talking point in the presidential campaigns. I think that's going to continue to happen. I mean, this show will continue to draw a lot of vitality if it, if it's able to draw from the real world without getting you know, I mean, like whether or not Trump exists in this world or right. Logan Roy is responsible for him is is not made clear. But I do think that they can pull a lot from the world that places like Waystar creates. Yes. So, uh, all right. Next week, we'll find out how bad it gets for Kendall, uh, for Jason. I'm Chris. We'll be with you next week after Succession's season finale. We will be coming to you on Monday next week. That's right. So join us on Monday. You can find us on the Ringer Twitter account. You can find us on YouTube. We'll be coming to you with our reactions to the season finale of season two of Succession. See you then. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members, including active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their families. You'll receive a lifetime of membership benefits with Navy Federal, and you can easily access accounts, transfer money, pay bills, and deposit checks with the Navy Federal mobile app. Visit NavyFederal.org watch. For more information, call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply.